even though people think, you know, you're a trainer, you should, won't you just climb on anything? No, absolutely not. I have seen enough to know when I feel comfortable getting on a horse and when I do not. And I will not compromise that just because you want me to quote unquote, evaluate your horse. Welcome to the Horsewoman Project, a podcast where we talk about all things horsewoman, from relationships to truck issues, taking care of your nutrition and fitness, and of course, horses. Hello, Camry. Hey, Michaela. How are you uh, today? Oh, you beat me to it. Um, I am good. <laughs> <laughs> I am good, just just living life doing work and we've been getting a lot of rain here which yeah, has been nice too. but it's also been weird <laughs> so, <laughs> right makes it feel like fall yes and I feel like um I almost said Camry Sandy <laughs> I feel like Sandy's <laughs> already growing her winter coat and it's got me all sorts of nervous because like her coat's gotten kind of long the last week mm. and I'm like no <laughs> I'm not ready for it to get cold. <laughs> but we'll see. Not ready for winter yet. <sighs> yeah. Good deal though. The rain is good. My field is loving it, so can't complain too much. Although, funny story. <laughs> I had a my client one of my client's horses standing tied and I was about to throw the saddle on. And it's just been overcast and then it'll randomly rain and then just be overcast for a while. So anyway, there's a bunch of clouds above us and I throw the pad on and then I'm about to throw the saddle on and like right as I'm literally swinging the saddle on, it starts pouring like buckets from the sky. <laughs> and this horse is like dancing around being like, what is going on? And so I was going to try and just leave it on so that underneath the pad would stay dry. Right. Um, but she was not having it. And I'm like, okay, honey, I understand. Like <laughs> you're getting buckets dumped in your face. So I just yanked the saddle off and stood in the shed for a few minutes and let her kind of sort out her feelings about it. <laughs> but yeah, it was one of those hilarious timing things where it was just kind of funny to see how she handled it. And it was good though. It was kind of fun. Afterwards, I was trying to decide if I should put the saddle back on because she was wet. And I'm like, you know, it's a good kind of test for when things aren't quote unquote ideal, you know, for sending her home in, in a month or two. And so I'm like, well, let's see how you feel about it. And, and so we did some groundwork with the saddle on and everything. But like I said, she was all wet underneath and she handled it like a pro. So it was, it was a fun little experiment. <laughs> I love that. Sounds like my experience with Sandy a few weeks ago. <laughs> just so <laughs> right fun. where you're like, just chuck her in the trailer. <laughs> yeah. Rain is coming down in buckets. <laughs> it's been such a wet fall. It's crazy. Again, not complaining too much. I just hope it means I don't have to have as much snow. Like I can do rain. Rain is fine. Yeah. Rain all day. I just don't want snow. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't give me six feet of snow and then melt in a week. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, should we get to our topic? I'm kind of excited about this one. I know. Me too. Me too. Yeah, let's get to it. Cool. Well, we are going to be dis discussing. Discussing? How do <laughs> am I saying this word right? <laughs> Words are not happening today. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my gosh. We're going to be talking about. Um, <laughs> horse training myths and a myths. Yeah. That just go around training your horses or getting a trainer or anything like that. And I'm excited for what we have. Yeah. I think there's a lot of misconception which I think a lot of it has to do with what you see on TV and whether it is reality TV, like um, Clinton Anderson's shows or, you know, things that are on RFD TV um, or things like Heartland um, where that are fictional. Um, and then even things like cult challenge competitions. Um, so I feel like particularly with cult starting challenges, they really kind of put things where people think that within three days, a horse can be broke enough to go through an obstacle course and do a raining pattern and do all of these things. Um, especially with those, like I said, those like three day or really short competitions like that, where they have to do so many things with these horses in such a short time. Um, it just, it puts very unrealistic expectations on to cold starters in particular, but horse trainers as well. People expect miracles to happen in very, very short periods of time. So I think that would be probably the top misconception that I hear is, you know, will you take my horse for two weeks? And, and <laughs> things like that of people being like, just work miracles. Here you go. And I'm like, uh, it's not quite how it works. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I, I think coming from another point of view too, like from the non-trainer's perspective, I can definitely see why people think that. Yeah. Um, I worked at a barn and when I was in high school and we did a clinic at the end of working with these colts. And so I would do all the groundwork with the colts. And then we'd have a professional colt starter come and do like a three-day clinic where he would take all of the colts. We had like 20 plus and he would get them all ridden by the end of the weekend. And then they would go through a sale. And watching that, it does make you feel like, oh, well, I just bought a horse that's fully broke, right? Even though it's like I said one day <laughs> of being ridden. And it was it was really cool to watch, though, to watch his methods and watch how he was able to go through all of these horses in three days. Um, but I definitely see why people think that, you know, and why people are like, hey, yeah, just, just tune up my horse or do the first couple of rides and then it'll be fine. Um, but definitely as I've progressed more in my training career and learning more about what it actually takes to train it has definitely changed the way that I look at those things I was like oh my gosh 30 days is nothing right 60 days is nothing 90 days is almost nothing too you know it's just like there is there's so much that goes into it and so much that you as the rider needs to know before you can even bring a horse who's just been saddle broke you know so uh yeah yeah. And so, yeah, I concur with everything that you said. Um, I think that I don't think people are doing it to be unfair. You know, I don't think that people are coming in being like, let me just expect so much and so much and expect all of these unrealistic things. They truly do think that's realistic because from their viewpoint, that's what they've seen. So that's what they think is realistic. Um, and the fact of the matter is you have everything from depending on the age of the horse. You know, if people want me to start two-year-olds, sometimes you deal with attention span issues. Sometimes you deal with physical issues, whether it's lamenesses or 
hoof issues or um, back issues, you know, especially those youngsters that, that aren't developed enough. Um, and there's so many different things that contribute to how quickly a horse is going to learn, um, how socialized they were, how they were raised, you know, whether they were raised in a, in a paddock or in a stall. So there's just so much that goes into how quickly horses are going to learn um, and how much they're going to, going to retain. So yeah, there's a lot of factors that go into it. So that's why I kind of want to do this episode is let's, let's bring these things to light so that people do actually have a realistic idea of what training entails um, and that it's not quite as Hollywoodized as a lot of people think. So here to educate. <laughs> yeah. So let's start with the first myth. Are you okay if I just read it out and then we can discuss yeah. it? Okay. Yeah. So myth number one, Horse trainers should be willing to get on other people's horses. Ooh, I love this one. Yeah. You want to take it? <laughs> <laughs> or yeah. should I take it? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll start with this one. Um, so this one was kind of, this was brought to my attention recently from a client that, I mean, it's <laughs> happened multiple times, but did just happen recently, which is kind of what spurred on this topic of, okay, well, let's, let's help people realize the realities of being a trainer. Um, and so there was someone that invited me to get on a horse that I did not feel safe getting on. I have an extremely thorough process where even for tune-ups, I'm going to check, does this horse know how to focus on me? Do they know how to shift their focus from something that might scare them back to me? Does this horse know how to move forward willingly? How does this horse spook? If I haven't seen a horse spook on the ground and I don't know how they're going to handle it, I'm not going to be getting on that horse. Uh, what experience does this horse have? You know, how many times has it been ridden? How old is it? Um, and then kind of a lot of those pre-ride checklist things that we went over in our um, pre-ride checklist episode a few episodes ago. So there's a lot of these things that I'm going to go through that are going to show me so many different elements of this horse's mind, um, their body, how they move, how they handle certain situations. So I am not going to risk my life, my safety, my livelihood, you know, it's it, that's my job. If I get hurt on a horse, I, I can't work. Um, I, I can't train anymore. If, if I break a leg, break my back, um, get a concussion, things like that. So even though people think, you know, you're a trainer, you should, won't you just climb on anything? No, absolutely not. I have seen enough things in my career so far and my career is short compared to a lot of trainers you know I'm I'm in my 30s I'm not someone who's been doing it you know I'm not in my 50s I've been doing it for 30 years um so even with my shorter experience I have seen enough to know when I feel comfortable getting on a horse and when I do not and I will not compromise that just because you want me to quote unquote evaluate your horse. Um, Cause that's the other way that I will have it phrased to me is people want to come for one lesson and have me evaluate quote unquote their horse. Um, and in other words, they bought a new horse. It's been sitting for a couple years and they're like, Hey, will you ride my horse and evaluate it for me? Nope. I will not. <laughs> I will evaluate your horse on the ground and I will tell you everything that I see, but I will not be swinging a leg over. Um, so when your trainer is 
if you have a trainer that is similar minded to me and is very thorough like that and chooses not to swing a leg over, that should tell you something about the training that is still needed for your horse before you should even get on. Um, and you should ask your trainer, you know, what kind of work can we do to work on this? Can Does my horse need to be in full-time training? Can I come weekly or twice weekly for lessons so that you can help me get this horse ready? Um, so it should be more information instead of ego, I guess, which is what I feel like a lot of it is um, for some people. And then just fear with other people of, you know, they don't want to swing their leg over, <laughs> which yeah, same for me. You know, I don't, I don't want to swing my leg over something I'm not completely certain about. Um, so yeah, use it as information and, and don't expect your trainer to swing a leg over something you don't want to swing your leg over. So. Yeah. I love that. I feel like trainers are often looked at as bronc dummies. Like I think you <laughs> yeah. did a post with your bronc dummy on, <laughs> on one of your horses. And that's what I feel like a lot of people look at trainers as, is it's not a, tr you know, it's not always just you actually training the horse and teaching the horse something. It's more of like, Hey, you ride all the buck out of it. So then I can just get on it and dink around. Right. And that's not the case at all. If you're truly getting a true trainer. So I love that. The trainer will send you back a push button horse. So you don't need to learn any more skills. Ooh. Okay. Yes. I love this one. Yeah, I was going to say, you take this one. Okay. <laughs> now that I rambled for a minute. <laughs> oh, no, you're, you're, you didn't ramble. I think it was perfect. Um, this is a big one that I see. And I see it in, in, like, it's not just the horse world. It's any animal that you bring together. Like, you, you see people who take dogs to trainers and then come back and don't continue the training, right? If you are someone who's going to have an animal in your possession, whether you see the animal as a pet or it's part of what's getting you somewhere, you need to be prepared to learn how to be a minimal trainer, at least. It's not fair to the animal if you don't know how to communicate with it. When you've just spent, you know, thousands of dollars at a trainer's, why wouldn't you want to go learn how that technique is? Like what, what the trainer's doing with your dog, what the trainer's doing with your horse. So then you can repeat it and you can reinforce that when they're home. If you don't reinforce that, you're going to be going back to the trainer a lot. So I feel like, like I said, any animal you own, it's just your due diligence. Like if you're going to own an animal, you need to learn how to at least reinforce the behavior that you're wanting to see continue. I think that's when we end up getting a lot of horses or a lot of dogs or a lot of anything, you know, that's when they sell them or they go back to the shelters because the owners aren't doing their full due diligence to make sure that they know how to communicate with that animal to get the results that they're wanting to see or the behaviors they're wanting to see. To see. Yeah, I actually saw a post this morning on Facebook and I can't remember, I wish I could give him credit, but I cannot remember which trainer it came from, but they said you need to have the skills to help your horse emotionally, mentally, and physically. So you need to be able to have some of these skills to be able to, like you said, communicate well, to be able to help them with their mindset when they struggle with things, to be able to help them with their physical maneuvers, like with horses where you need a lot of things happening mechanically um so yeah you definitely need to work on your skills as well as your horses and um that's where like my program I have that built in so I offer weekly lessons as part of my training program so when people bring a horse to me full-time they get to have daily updates where they get to see what I'm doing with the horse but they also get to come at least once weekly 
to come and put that into practice themselves so that they can recreate what I'm doing with their horse. Because it doesn't matter what I can do with it when I send it home. If they don't have those skills, the horse is going to quote unquote forget a lot of that, right? <laughs> um, they're going to respond to you as their trainer instead of me as their trainer. And horses adapt to each and every person that is on them. Um, so they're going to adapt to the way that you train them, whether you know you're training or not, you're training. So, yeah, exactly. You have to know how to communicate. And I love that you provide that. There's some trainers, which I feel like is a big red flag to me. I would hate to send my horse to a trainer who had a no-show policy. Like, I'm not allowed to go and watch them train. I'm not allowed to go do lessons with them. It's like, you're not allowed to to go see what's going on and you just get your horse back. To me, those are big red flags um, when I'm looking at trainers, just personally, because I want to be able to see what's going on with my horse. I want to be able to take lessons because if they're struggling with something, they're going to struggle with it at home too. And I need to know how to handle those situations or to like learn your style, right? Because that's what I'm paying you to teach my horse. And if I'm paying you to teach them your style and I don't learn your style, like what good did that do me <laughs> to, to have months of that put on my horse, right? So yes, I love that. Well, and that actually brings up a good point too, that I am also willing to help adapt the horse to your style as well. So say I've got a client that has been riding for a lot of years and they have certain cues that they like to use. I will put that into practice with their horse if it varies considerably from mine. You know, so if they use their legs differently than I do, because I have, for me, I have three different positions with my legs. So I have communicate with the shoulder, communicate with the rib cage and communicate with the hip. Now I do have several clients that they have one leg position on each side and they just want their horse to know when I use my left leg, turn right. When I use my right leg, turn left. So if that client wants me to teach their horse that way, I'm going to accommodate that so that when that horse goes back, it's going to be more successful instead of being really confused. <laughs> um, and so, but that doesn't happen if you don't come for lessons and tell me and show me how you ride so that I can do that. You know, so it, that communication needs to go both ways. It's not just me teaching you my style. It's also me adapting some of what I'm doing to help your horse be successful with your style. So I love that. I was going to ask if you have them come and, and ride or do something like that. So the lessons. Yeah. Go for lessons, guys. <laughs> yes. Yes, please. Please. <laughs> so much more success happens if you come and work on you and your horse together. <laughs> Well, myth number three, 30 to 60 days makes a broke horse. Ooh, I think we should talk about what a broke horse is too. Yeah, we did do an episode about that Did once. we? Oh my gosh, <laughs> we've done so many episodes. Okay, we'll link to that episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, so long story short, what makes a broke horse is a horse that can do the skills that you need it to do and do them consistently in many, many situations. So that's kind of the long and short of it. Um, there's a lot more to it than that. Like broke for one person is gonna be a little bit different than broke for another person, um, depending on your discipline, your skill level, et cetera. Um, but yeah, essentially just that consistency of, of 
repeating the skills that you need your horse to do consistently in lots of situations. So, and consistency does not happen in 60 days, you guys. <laughs> your horse knows a lot of skills, but your horse still has a lot of questions and a lot of uh, squirrel moments if they're young. So if, <laughs> to explain what that means, um, <laughs> if anyone has seen the movie Up, the Disney movie, and the dog keeps going squirrel and, and getting distracted and seeing squirrels, a lot of two and three-year-old horses have those squirrel moments. Um, and even your four and sometimes five-year-old horses, depending on the breed. A lot of breeds, I feel like really mentally mature around five. Um, but like I said, that's, you know, plus or minus depending on the breed. <laughs> but yeah, there's, they, they need that consistency of being brought back, having their focus shifted back from those distractions back to the task at hand um, and shifting their focus from that thing that they were uncertain about or that spooked them. And to be able to say, oh, that's not a big deal. Bring their focus back um, to be able to consistently put their hip, their shoulder, their rib cage, everything where it needs to be and keep it there. That does not happen in 60 days. <laughs> They're starting to learn the skills of, okay, when you put your leg here, my shoulder goes here. When you put your hand here, my head needs to do this. I need to lift. Um, and so they're starting to learn a lot of these skills, but the consistency of doing it every single time, the exact same way with five different riders and in, at a show environment or on the trail or in this new arena, um, it just doesn't happen realistically and you could imagine I mean even put it in human terms right try and pick up a new skill like I've I'm not a tennis player so let's just say tennis in 60 days am I going to be an extremely consistent really amazing tennis player that can go out and compete against someone that's been doing it for five years probably not am I going to have some of the skills Absolutely. I'm going to be starting to learn my swing and get a little more consistent with it and do things, but I'm not going to look like a someone who's been doing it their whole life or someone that's been doing it for five or 10 years. So it's the same with your horse. Yes, they're going to have certain skills, but <laughs> they're still going to have a lot of questions, inconsistencies, um, and so on. Yeah. I think one way to put it into perspective as well is your horse is a baby. Most people who are wanting days put on their horse and training that horse is probably going to be two years old maybe four like maybe four they are still babies like you were saying they don't they're not fully mentally developed so then let's let's take a look and like okay a two-year-old let's take your seven-year-old kid and let's put them in a two-month program but then expect them to be like perfect at whatever it is you know whether that's dance or it's gymnastics or it's baseball whatever you have your kid in think about how long it takes your kid to get proficient at that sport that's going to be very similar to what your horses are doing they're going to be at that same developmental stage physically they're they're going to have to wait on things mentally they're going to have to wait on things just like your kids do and I feel like we forget that horses have that developmental need as well in all of those places yeah. And I mean, your two-year-olds, they're kindergartners, first graders, developmentally wise, you know, mentally. And, and then once they start getting into three years old, then you're starting to get up into the higher elementary. You get into four years old, you're getting into like middle school, you know, high school maybe. So it's, you know, anything younger than five, you're dealing with, 
youth or a child, you know, you're dealing with something that isn't fully mentally or physically developed yet. So yeah, just kind of keeping those little age ranges in mind. Your two-year-old, even though they're big and they look like a full grown horse, they are still a first grader or a kindergartner <laughs> and treat them as such. They're going to need some patience and they're going to need play and they're going to need things to engage their mind. And yeah, they don't want to just sit in a boring classroom all day. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love that. Well, I'm actually going to skip ahead to this one because I feel like it goes along with what we were just saying. Um but that there's one magic method that will fix all horses. So like doing this one method is going to work for every single horse that comes in. I feel like that goes along exactly with what we were saying as far as developmentally. Um, for for me, it's like, okay, I look at people. There's not one program that's going to work for every single person to get the results that they want, right? Like not one coach is going to be able to teach all the people in the world exactly how to do one thing because there's going to be personality differences. They're going to butt heads. There's going to be like communication styles that are that are not conducive. Um, horses can have learning issues as well, you know, and you're going to have to adapt to how that horse needs to learn and how it needs to communicate. Not all horses are going to communicate the same or, or going to understand it at the same rate. Um, but I just hear so many people that like they'll stick to one big trainer right and be like oh my gosh their method is the only way because I know their method I can take on any horse and it's like well there's going to be a lot of nuances depending on what horses you get yeah like most methods are good for a certain style of horse right or a certain certain breed or a certain or a certain um, sport of horse that you're doing but not all horses are going to fit in that box right and not not every method makes it so like yeah, you can just take on anything. You're going to have to be more versatile and learn some of the different styles and learn some of the different things and kind of create your own as you go with your horse too. Yeah, I actually had a client recently that was feeling a bit overwhelmed actually with how many different styles there are and which one do you follow? Like, do you do this method or that method? So my tip with that would be if you are feeling overwhelmed with styles, I do actually suggest when you're first learning, pick one, you know, pick one that you can really learn, okay, this is what training looks like, right? And with this person's method. Um, and that way it gives you more of that consistency, kind of a certain way of looking at it. But then once you feel proficient at that, that's when you start adding in a few other things and you start seeing these other versions of how to do things and the why behind okay you know why this might work for this type of horse versus that one but I feel like that's very difficult to do in the beginning when you're first learning because it's like overload of information right <laughs> there's 10 different ways to solve one problem and you're like well how do I know um, so yeah start with one then maybe you can do an entire other trainers program or you can just kind of start um, cherry picking and seeing seeing what you think works but yeah if you do feel that overwhelmed that would be kind of a tip there because um, yeah I did have a client just a couple of weeks ago talking about that bit of overwhelm so oh yeah and there's so much out there I totally understand the overwhelm yeah and I and I love what you said like picking one is good it's always it's going to be a good place to start just like sticking with if you're if you're a volleyball player you're going to learn from your junior high coach and then you're going to graduate to a higher level coach and a higher level coach, depending on how, how much more you want to go, but you're going to be able to have foundations from each of those to be able to 
change your style up a little bit, right? And it's going to be the same with horse training. You're going to be able to change your style up depending on how you continue your education. I think it's just, I think you should just make sure you are continuing your education for sure, because there's just so much out there and yeah, not, not every method works for every horse yeah, or person. So with the idea of there not being one magic method that works for all horses, I do feel like that also goes along with one of the other myths, which is quick fixes, right? Um, or magic buttons or, mag- you know, this one tip that's going to fix my horse's hanging back issue um, or, you know, anything like that. My horse that's trailering, is there just one quick little thing I can do that'll just fix it? Boom. Quick fix. Um Sorry, hate to break it to you. There are no quick fixes. <laughs> it takes time. Um, it's it's not a two-week issue. It's not a one-session issue. It's not fix it in one clinic weekend. Um, a lot of it, there are multiple factors with things like that, whether it's, like I said, trailering, hanging back, any of those more common type problems. A lot of those have to do with multiple factors like your horse's response to pressure, um, contextual things, you know, of there were certain triggering things in their past of when they get near a trailer, they're expecting certain things. Um, there, there's just a ton of different, different things, you know, it could be smells, certain horses struggle with smells. Um, I actually dealt with that recently as well with, I was trying to figure out why my horse was, my client's horse was getting so reactive. Come to find out there was a steer hide that had been rained on that was stuck in the weeds and the bushes. And I didn't know it was over there, but the horse could smell it <laughs> and I couldn't smell it. Um, so it's, you know, there's smells, there's sights, there's being touched, there's responses to pressure. There are so many things. And then there's your horse's history. There's also your energy and your mannerisms and things you're doing. So there are so many things to consider when fixing an issue with a horse that it's rarely, if ever, is it ever a quick fix? <laughs> it's It takes time and it takes problem solving and it takes looking at all of the aspects. And then it takes consistency, especially with those things like trailering. You know, you've experienced that recently with Sandy, um, that sometimes little hiccups happen, especially with horses that have had a history with certain things, um, that it just takes a lot of work to to get them good about it and quote unquote fix it but then to also keep them good at it so no quick fixes <laughs> no I mean it, there's no quick fixes in life period I deal yeah. a lot with people wanting quick fixes <laughs> coming into coaching and it's it's exactly just like horse training it's you know a quick fix works in a certain scenario with a certain person with a certain environment with these certain aspects but anywhere out of those aspects they don't work anymore right and so just like with you like you want any changes you make with yourself to be lifestyle and to be lifelong and to be something that you're gonna fall back to and be consistent with and that's what you should be looking for when you're training your horse or wanting your horse trained you want your horse trained in a way that it's going to be consistent as you as you're going forward and you're going to be able to fall back onto those things that you need and those tools that you've learned in the different situations absolutely so let's see the next one that i want to go on to is teaching horses who's boss 
right? Um, a lot of people feel like you need to dominate your horse and you need to get them to respect you, right? They need to respect me, um, which one of my favorite trainers that I follow, Gareth Marie, which we've talked about him on a couple other podcasts, he he posted about respect yesterday and, and I really loved it, but um, it's it's not about being boss in my opinion and this one I guess is a, is an opinion based one <laughs> as are a few of these but in my opinion training is not about showing a horse who's boss it's about communicating with a horse um, horses by nature are extremely willing animals and if they're not willing it's because you are not showing them that they are safe with you or you are not being fair with them. You think they understand something when they don't and you see it as them being stubborn when really it's them misunderstanding. Um, so that's where that communication comes in. And so a lot of times when people feel resistance from a horse, they will say, oh, that horse is being naughty. Oh, that horse is being belligerent. It's being stubborn. Um, and really that's horses don't have that ability they do not have the capability to do that so it's really just your horse misunderstanding trying to find safety trying to find the answer and being unable to do so because you are spurring them too much for them to even use their brain to solve it um, so that's kind of where it's it's not just about you know kicking them harder spurring them harder until they do it it's about okay if they're not understanding why aren't they understanding um, and really finding a better way to communicate that's the big piece right there it's about communication not about dominance yeah I agree I like to look at it as a dance right like you mm -hmm. are in this partnership and you are dancing but you have to be the leader in the dance the horse is always going to be the follower or almost always going to be the follower when it comes to mechanical things and you need to learn how to best lead your partner through this dance. Yeah, 100%. I agree. So um, one of the, it was, I heard this in human terms, and I'm going to try and say it in horse terms, which is a lot of people will think that respect means a horse treating you as an authority. Whereas to me, respect means a horse treating you like a partner. Again, a partner in a dance, a partner in, you know, what your life journeys together, that you will both treat each other as partners, just like you do in a marriage. You know, like some people will say the phrase of who wears the pants in the relationship, right? Like who makes the decisions? I don't know that I have ever seen a marriage where only one person ever makes all the decisions, 100% of the decisions there's give and take, right? Sometimes mom makes the decisions. Sometimes dad makes the, de the decisions in certain areas and aspects. Sometimes it's a mutual decision where mom and dad talk about it. That's how your horsemanship should go to. It should be this back and forth, this dance, this communication game of, okay, when do we need to focus on mental things? When can we move on and, and, and push a little bit harder, which you recently made a post about that of when do you need to pull back a little bit in your training? When do you need to push a little bit harder? Um, and it's just that kind of back and forth of figuring out when we can push ourselves and our horses and when we need to dial it back. So 
I love yeah. that post. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> we'll have to link to that now. <laughs> um, but I I agree. And it's, it's this constant dance learning that yourself. Um, like I just had a conversation with a client yesterday about this. Like I just, she's, she's very, it's very hard to figure out when you need to push yourself in some certain situations and when you need to pull back. And it's the same when you're working with your horse. And then so dance, I'm constantly trying to figure out with Sandy is it's like, when do I push her and make her go a little bit further? And when do I pull back and say, oh no, it's okay. It's okay that you're saying no, I will listen to that. And there are times it's like, no, you, you can't say no, like we got to go forward. Right. And trying to figure out how to communicate with that. And it just takes reps, lots and lots of reps, lots and lots of just situations that you continue showing up and you continue just trying, you know, um, just continue forward. Cause yes, it's, it's a dance. Everything's a dance. I love that. My dance partners. <laughs> so this one, I really love. Um, this was when you added in and it was, if you can't control your horse, you should get a more severe bit. Yeah. And I cannot tell you how many times I've heard that. And I'm like, no. <laughs> um, so I guess since you put it in there, do you want to share your two cents on that one? That myth? Yes, ma'am. Um, this is one that I hear all the time too, where someone's like, ah, oh, like he's just pushing through the bit. So I'm just gonna, I'm going to go to this big, a bigger shank, or I'm going to go to this bigger port or what have you. Um, if you're not sure what those mean, we also did a episode on bits, I think at one point too. Um, but anyways, going to where you have more leverage on your horse and really what more leverage does is in not the right hands provides pain. Um, and so if you are is struggling with control on your horse and you can't get your horse to stop or to turn with a halter going to a more severe bit is only abusing your horse like it's just providing pain to your horse so you need to take those steps back go back to the foundation of hey if i can't get it done in a halter why not what's going on and this is something that I've had to break that belief myself because I've had some horses where I'm like, oh, well, this bit isn't working. I'm going to go to this bit. And I've done that over and over and over again. And it's something that I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish I could go back <laughs> and tell myself like, don't do that. Like that's, that's just not nice. And it's something I've noticed with Sandy too. I just recently just took her a uh, bit list and I've been just conditioning her and her halter just to see, And I'm like, what, what holes do we have? Where are we at with this? And I have noticed like she does push through the halter in some situations more than she would if I had a bit in her mouth. But in those situations, if I had a bit in her mouth, I have noticed I tend to be a little bit too, too much in the bed, I feel like, which is why I've, I've gone down to the halter. So for me, it's allowed me to see the holes of my training. So it's like, okay, outside of conditioning, I need to come back and, and we need to reinforce that, hey, pressure here, it does not mean push into it. It means come off of it. It means turn. It means this. Um, so I really do think like if you can't do it in a halter, you need to go back to a halter and, and reset that. And you can do that. Like I would start on the ground. If your horse is really pushy, don't get on. Start on the ground. What does pulling back on your halter mean? What does pulling down on your halter mean? What does pulling to the right mean? What does pulling to the left mean? They should be able to soften and collect and do everything you want to do in a halter. Yeah, I 100% agree. So that actually reminds me of one of the things we went over up at our retreat which was that your horse's brain needs to be attached to your horse's reins. Whether you are in a side pole, in a bit, in a shank, you know, whatever you're in, a snaffle, if your horse's brain 
does not come to you when you pick up on those reins, then they are not responding to pressure correctly. Um, so, and I had to learn this the hard way, <laughs> um, which I created a, a lot of brace with my horse Freya because I got her responding physically to the bit, but mentally she was leaning away from it. Um, and even when I realized how heavy handed I was getting with her and then went back to being softer, that's when you can really feel the resistance. So in other words, if I were to, you know, bring a horse back into a snaffle or a halter and I pick up, pick up my right hand and take it out to the side and that horse's first response is to either one, ignore it and just sit there and do nothing or to push into it, push the opposite way or that their ear or their eye doesn't glance back at you or flick back towards you. Um, and, and the pressure, the amount of pressure I'm talking about here would be if you were to try and pull your hair, you would have, you would be pulling on your reins softly enough that if you were pulling hair, it wouldn't hurt someone. Like you wouldn't be pulling, you wouldn't be yanking someone's hair out of their head. So it's just enough that it's going to make your hair go tight. Like if you grab your ponytail and you pull on it, it's going to go tight, but it's not going to yank the hair off of someone's head. <laughs> so this, that's just kind of a, a reference for how soft you are picking up there. Um, and that's what we worked on at the retreat was, you know, when we pick up on this rein, we want that horse's brain to come to us. We want their brain attached to that rein so that they feel you even start to pick up on that rein and they say, oh, hello, Camry. What do you need? You know, that's, that's the softness and the mental softness on top of physical softness that you really want to get from your horse. And like you said, if you can't get that with that little bit of pressure, um, then you need to work on that until you can get that with just that much pressure. And that's how you create a soft horse. And that requires a lot of waiting for the horse to feel that pressure. And sometimes a horse will sit there and sit there and sit there until finally they're like, why are you still holding on to that rein? And then they look at you and then you release it and you're like, that's all I needed. <laughs> I just needed you to look at me. You know, and sometimes that's what you have to start with is just getting your horse to be like, oh, you're there. You exist. <laughs> so kind of a fun process to play with, to kind of go back with those horses that have gotten really heavy and pushy and really just show them this is how soft it can be. And this is how good it can feel. Um, and it's, they just move so much better. And when you just literally have this horse that feels like butter in your hands, you can just pick up on those reins and they just meet you at that first grip of the reins, it just feels so good. I tell you guys, it's worth it. <laughs> and it takes so much patience, guys. <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> I know. Well, it's just, it is, it's, it's a process. And like I said, I used, I used to do all of the things. Like I used to be someone who was more of a dominant trainer and was like, you will be respectful and you, and I will be dominant over you. And I used to teach that way. And I used to be someone who would go to more severe bits to get my horse to come back a little bit more and get in my hands a little bit more. And trying to transition out of those is so hard. It's, it's good. And it's been rewarding, but man, it has been a really, really hard journey just to try to change those habits that I have. And I still notice and there's so many times I can kick myself because I, I do tend to get a little bit too much in Sandy's face, which has then created some of the pushing behavior that I have or that she is presenting me in the halter. It's because when she's in her bit and 
something happens and we get frustrated, I go a little bit too hard with the bit, which then of course leads to pain, which then leads her to push. Um, and so I'm, I'm seeing that, especially like, as we've moved into the halter, I'm like, ah, crap. Like I, I've totally made, <laughs> made these problems and it just takes a lot of grace and a lot of patience, but you will get there. And it is really rewarding too. Like it is worth it. Like, don't get me wrong. It's worth it to go down this road. It just, it takes a minute to relearn everything <laughs> and to just try all the different things out and be consistent with it. Yeah. Well, and it's when you've learned, because the way that I initially learned was you're going to ask the horse and then if they don't do it, you're going to make the horse. Right. So it's still giving them an opportunity to offer it when being asked, but then the making follows through. Right. And to come away from that and go to you wait you ask the horse and then you wait for them to find an answer and sometimes they're going to find the wrong answer sometimes they're going to push on it sometimes they're going to do something else but then the minute that they find that answer themselves instead of you making them do it it sticks with them and they really solidify that but it is, it's like you said, it's, it's hard to transition from that because the habits that you've built for years of making the horse do it when they don't, <laughs> it's really hard to pull away from that and to have the patience to not make them do it. Cause you know, you can, right. You've spent years knowing that you can, if I just do go a little bit harder or put a little bit of movement in my hands there, I can make them come off the pressure, but we want to teach them to choose to give to the pressure, not to be made to come off the pressure. So it's, it's a hard shift to make, but a good one, like you said. Oh yeah. And just trying to get to that point where you are breaking through those habits is it's with any habit you're trying to break, right? You have to put in the reps, you have to continue showing up and you are going to have those times where it's like, yeah, I screwed that up. Like, and I went back to my old behavior and that's okay. And it's just recognizing it and going, okay, but I'm going to try really hard and then you're going to screw up again. And that's okay recognize it and then pretty soon you'll notice those behaviors become fewer and far farther between right and that's with anything that's with what we're talking about here but it's also with anything you want to do with yourself you know if you've got some habits you want to break realize like you are going to make mistakes you are going to go back to those old habits and it's about how you go forward from that that's what's going to make the change right so yeah so i think we have one more which we did mention a little bit, but let's go a little deeper into it, which is all horses buck, which I feel like is a very common misconception with colt starting again. So we're kind of going back into the horse training colt starting portion here. Um, do you feel like you've heard that quite a bit, Michaela, that people just expect, oh, first rides, horses are just always going to buck? Oh, yeah, with first rides. I was going to say, too, I'm like, well, all horses have the capability of bucking. Yes. <laughs> Does that mean I they will in every situation? No. <laughs> yeah. No, I guess I should have rephrased just a little bit and said horses with first saddlings and first rides always buck. So Yeah. Yeah. I like no, I the... feel like I feel like that is the the idea, you know. Yeah. So I want to challenge that just a little bit, mainly because I have shifted that in myself in my program. So when I first started 10 years ago cult starting horses did buck every time every time you'd saddle them for the first time it was like 
hope we can get that cinch done all the way up before they start going into it <laughs> and same thing it's like I when you do a first ride it was like well I hope I can get my foot in the stirrup before they take off running possibly bucking um whereas now a lot of times it's loose rain it's quiet and occasionally like yes I do still sometimes get buckers horses are horses I'm also human sometimes I miss things sometimes I overlook things that I thought I had solid that I didn't um, so there's always going to be those situations that yes every once in a while you're still going to get a horse that's going to buck for one reason or another um, but overall if you really take your time and make sure that all the mental components are there. All of the physical components are there where your horse can move with weight. They can move with girth pressure. They can handle surprises. They can handle spooky things um, and just really be thorough in every possible situation you think your horse might need to handle when you are on them. Then by the time you get on them, they're like, oh, piece of cake. And they just trot around like it's nothing. Um, and it's it's funny because years ago, if you would have told me that I put several rides on horses, first rides bareback in a halter, I probably would have laughed at you and been like, ha, <laughs> uh-huh, <laughs> right. But I have actually done that quite a few times over the last few years. Um, and a lot of times I'll do what's called Jeffrey's method, which is when the horse is bareback and you hop up on their back and you lay completely across their back with your head on their neck and then your feet are just past their butt. So a lot of times once I'm doing Jeffrey's method, I will transition that into sitting up on their back, disengaging them while I'm up on their back, and then go figure we're walking around for their first ride in a halter bareback. And they just are chill about it. So if you really work on the horse's mind, um, and you really take your time with the horse and make sure that you're taking it at their pace, making sure you're thorough and everything they need to know. First rides can be extremely relaxing and fun and enjoyable for you and for your horse. And you know what? I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to sit through a buck if I don't have to. Like <laughs> Number one, ow. Um, and number two, it's just not fun anymore I don't know <laughs> I mean granted it never was fun but <laughs> I know that's what it's... I was gonna say I'm like was it really fun before <laughs> yeah, no no some people might think so but no I I have no aspirations to be a bronc rider um but it's it's just so rewarding when you know that horse is connected to you mentally that they can handle all the things you need them to handle and that they're just happy to have you up there and um, it's there's nothing more rewarding than that so Oh, yeah, for sure. What comes up for me as you're talking to is just how your perspective has changed, which I feel like that's probably the biggest thing that's changed with how the horses have responded, right? Like you're not going into every first ride going, oh, okay, they're going to buck, they're going to buck, they're going to buck, they're going to hate this, they're going to hate this, they're going to hate this, this is going to suck, this is going to suck, this is going to suck. And that changes what how the horse feels too. Like think about, um, well, I've, I've noticed this with some of my clients. I gosh, like a year ago, was noticing like, my, man, all of my clients are kind of presenting like like a certain piece of the program and they were all just like really fighting it and really not liking it and really like, oh, this is just really hard. It's really like, I just don't know how I'm going to do this. And I couldn't figure out why. Like, I was like, why are they coming at it like this? Like, it's not that big of a deal. And then I realized it was my fault. 
because I had presented it to them like, this is going to be hard, but it's important, right? And like, because I had presented it as this is going to be a hard thing, it became a hard thing, even though like in the grand scheme of things, it's not a hard thing to do at all. But because I had presented and and like, because in my head, I was like, oh, like this thing, like they're probably going to hate this thing because I was like thinking that in my head, I presented it that way. And I was like, okay, you know, like, yes, this isn't going to be the funnest thing. It's going to be a little bit hard, but you can do it. And because I presented it that way, that's what I got, right? That's, that's how they felt. That's how they did it. And ever since I caught myself there and I've switched my language and been like, oh, this is, this is actually really, it's really simple. Takes a couple of minutes, not a big deal. Guess what? All of a sudden, they don't have an issue with it. My clients don't don't have an issue with it because of the way that I presented it and because of my own attitude about it. It's now not a big deal, right? And that's the same when you're going into training. If you're presenting it as like, you're going to hate this, you're going to hate this, you're going to, yeah, they're going to hate it. (laughs) That's just going to happen. (laughs) Oh, I completely agree. Well, and it's, it's making me think too that a lot of it for me, because I remember my very first cult starting class that I did back in college and um, the cult that I was working with, we were working on like Jeffrey's method type stuff, or we were about to, I guess I should say. And I just was bored waiting for them doing something else as they were over at the other end of the arena. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to like bounce up against my horse and hop on her back, bear back. <laughs> and um, I kind of got in trouble for it because they're like, you weren't supposed to be doing that yet. And I was kind of green at the time. So um, a lot green at the time, <laughs> but um, so initially I wasn't thinking this kind of stuff would be hard at all but then thinking of getting into cult starting for the public and having a lot of very iffy horses and a lot of very tight timelines of 30-day starts um, I got into okay well this is the pattern that we have now is you know, I'm doing all these things with horses that I thought were going to be a little bit easier. And lo and behold, it's extremely difficult um, with these horses on such a tight timeline that with these horses that are extremely fearful. So then it got me in this pattern of behavior of I was expecting that at that point was I was expecting it to be difficult. And then, like you were saying, my mindset going into it from there was like, <laughs> you know, this is going to be a rodeo. Um So yeah, it's just kind of funny how the horses that I dealt with initially when I very first started training for the public were the ones that kind of got my mindset a little bit more that way. And then it kind of came into that cycle where I then put that forward onto other horses, which (laughs) it reminds me of that video that I sent you before we started. (laughs) You want to explain the video, Michaela? It's funny. Oh, it is funny. (laughs) So it's it's this guy on Facebook, he's doing a he just did a video talking about an experience he had with a recent client. And he's like, this is how training for the public goes. And he had this client come in um, and she was like, Hey, I just, I'm going to purchase this horse and I just need you to put two weeks on her. She's nine years old. She's never really been touched. She's just been out in the pasture doing nothing. And all I need you to do is just, just put two weeks on her and she'll, and it'll be fine. And he's kind of like, what? She's like, Oh, well I'm, I'm a trainer. I just, just for some reason, like, I think she just had a baby or something. So couldn't, 
wasn't comfortable putting the first rides on. And he was like, well, so I was, I was going to be polite. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'll come look at this horse with you. He's like, well, we get there. She's in this huge pasture with a bunch of these other horses go out to try to catch her. She pins her ears, charges them. And then, you know, as they're kind of going through this rodeo, trying to just catch the horse, he's like, then they've finally told me that there was a round pen so we could try to like put her in the round pen and then they finally get her in there and she's kicking and she's biting and she's charging and all of these things going on and he's like so he turns to her and goes well I hate to tell you but this is going to be a lot more than a two-week project like this horse is presenting a lot of dangerous behavior all of this is all of this is going on and the gal just oh well you just must not be a good trainer then <laughs> like you're just you just must not be very good at your job and it, it is funny how people come in and expect you to create miracles with nothing you know <laughs> yep <laughs> they're like hey you want to get on this horse that hasn't been ridden in five years and fix it in a day and it's like that doesn't happen <laughs> right like i wish but... I, I wish i was that good man but <laughs> well and it is hard when you're doing services to yeah not have that pressure like even if you have a client who doesn't necessarily put that pressure on you you still feel that pressure to get them results like for me it's like I want all of my clients to get results and sometimes it's like I want it really really bad that I almost get stressed about their results more than they do you know <laughs> and that does but that doesn't serve either of us if I allow that to happen you know so I, I have to check myself and be like okay is it me putting putting unneeded pressure for them to get these results or you know do they actually want these results right like maybe maybe they don't and maybe it's a different direction we need to go like maybe what they thought they wanted wasn't actually what they wanted and we could go a different direction and it's the same with training too you know like yeah if you have a 30-day start that pressure's up like you are you are put in that pressure of like you better have that horse ready for this person to pick up and a better lope trot walk fine without bucking that's a lot of pressure to put on you and the horse and every training session is going to feel that way. You're going to go in with that high stress expectation of this is what we got to do. And like, no matter what, you have to get on that horse at this time, whether or not that horse is ready. And if you put that same pressure on yourself, like I just, I just think about my coaching, right? Like if I have a client who comes in and it's like, okay, they want to lose 50 pounds in a month, like that's not going to happen. You know, it's like, yeah, you could starve yourself for a month and maybe you'd lose 50, but you wouldn't keep it off, right? You would learn nothing from that. And it's the same when you take a horse and you go, okay, you need to go from ground zero of not knowing anything to, I want you to know everything by the time you go home in a month. I mean, sure, like you can run them through this really crazy thing and make it look like they know stuff, make it look like they got those results, but it's not going to last. You know, they're going to go home and eventually they're going to blow up or something's going to happen that they weren't presented with. And it's just not, it's not sustaining, you know, in either of those scenarios. So take a step back and realize like just you, if you're going into a trainer, take a step back and realize, do you really want what's best for your horse or do you want a quick fix that's not going to last? Because yeah, that's what you're getting. That's what you're choosing, right? Depending on which trainer you go to. Yeah. Well, and you get what you pay for too. You know, if you're willing to pay for a few months of training, you're going to get a much better start on your horse if you put a few months in than if you pay for two weeks. Um, it's, you do get what you pay for. You might end up with life lifelong issues or issues that are going to take you months and months to fix that that two-week trainer 
scared your horse. You know, they, they intimidated your horse. They created issues in certain things. And so it's, it's worth putting the time and the money in. And if you can't um, afford a trainer, but you can train the horse yourself and you want to do it slowly, do it, but make sure you've got friends, resources, different things to help you with it. Um, slow is always good. Slow is good. Yeah. And coming from someone who has made that mistake <laughs> of like, <laughs> I was on a tight budget and had a, had a Philly I just got. And I was like, Hey, 30 days, but 30 days is literally all I could afford. Um, and looking back, like, I really wish, I mean, one, it was literally all I could afford. I was a college student. Like there was no affording more than 30 days on that horse. But if I had, if I had it to do over again, I think I would have I would go back and say, Hey, I've got 30 days, but I actually, I want to come every day that you're with my horse. Right. Or like those 30 days, let's make them lessons or let's make them something. Because what I ended up getting at the end of that was a horse that had been run through, you know, just really fast to get her, get her started and try to get her ready for me. And she bucked me off many, many times, like, and, you know, ended up with some injuries and things from her because I didn't know what to do about them, right? Like she had this issue. I didn't know how to take her to the next level. Um, and so if I had that to do over again with the budget that I had, I would have much rather found a trainer who would be willing to take me from step one and just work with me over the next couple of years with this horse, right? Versus trying to shove her through that 30-day program because I did. I mean, I didn't know any better either. Like that's what you do when you get an unbroke Philly, right? Or an unbroke colt is you send them 30 days. That's what everybody does. You send them to a 30 day start and it's okay. It's like, learn better. You know, like now that I know better, it's like, okay, yeah, I, I would do that differently. Like if I get another colt eventually, which I will, I am going to have a mentor you know, to help me with it. Like if I, if I feel like I need to, or if I feel stuck. Um, so I'm just kind of a couple of things that are like, I've been there, done that. Like yeah, it's it's not fun and it's not not a fun process to have to learn from either. Yeah. Yeah. And there, I mean, that brings us back to one of those first ones we talked about that, you know, riding a 30 to 60 day cult is a bit different than riding one that's been riding for several years. And it's going to take a lot more work to get them exactly where you want them. So either take the time to do it yourself or have someone mentor you or hire someone to do it. So lots of options. Yeah. Or just don't buy a baby. Yes. Or, or, or just buy the one that's pretty broke (laughs) and then pay for lessons for yourself. (laughs) Exactly. Like if you're just starting out, go that direction. (laughs) Yes, please. (laughs) Don't buy a baby. Yes. But there's, there's lots of options and hopefully busting some of these myths was eye-opening and helpful. Yeah. Anything else to add, Michaela? I don't think so. I think we covered everything that I could think of. So. All right. We will chat with you guys next week. Thank you for listening to The Horsewoman Project. If you have a story to tell, please email us at thehorsewomanproject at gmail.com. Links to both of our websites, social pages, and emails will be added to the show notes, as well as any links that are mentioned or contact information for our guests. Talk to you next week.